Hey, everybody, it's Rick, Rick Radio here. I have an incredible guest today, uh, Trey Glennon is his name. Uh, he works for a large fire department, and we're going to get into all that. But he's just going to kind of talk to us, and we're going to hear Trey's story of experience, strength, and hope. Uh, Trey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, Rick. How, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for coming on this. I know it can be kind of a pain in the butt to do this kind of stuff, but um, I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So let's just uh, let's jump right into it. Trey, tell us kind of about you know your life and like or more detail. Like, tell me about what growing up um, in your family was like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we when we try to share these stories, we try to share you know what it was like, what happened, and and how it's like now, and and that's that hope that we're talking about. So hopefully, I can kind of get there, but. Uh, you know, you have to kind of analyze everything when when you look at at uh, ups and downs in your life, and and you kind of go back to to early on, early in the childhood. And I hear a lot of stories about how people had these uh, you know misguided childhoods, and uh, you know trouble at homes, uh, broken homes, split families, uh, things that just you know happened, abuse and things. And I actually, it's not my story. I, I grew up in in a family that that uh, my parents were together. My parents are still together t- today, and. You know, I went to uh, private school uh, through middle school and high school, and you know, we were we were, went to church on the weekends, and uh, we were taught to uh, you know treat each other the way we wanted to be treated, and we grew up under a pretty strict set of rules and value system and all those things, you know. Um, and, right. And the funny thing is, is uh, it just goes to show that that doesn't discriminate, you know. Right. Well, I know, like, you know, the, I have two beautiful daughters, and yeah, I'm in, I'm in a lot of fear, right? Constantly in a lot of fear, but I'm in a lot of fear of like, man, I hope my daughters don't have to go through what I've gone through, you know? And I remember like uh, when I was in rehab with all these, you know, obviously a lot of kids that were younger than me. And I was always asking them, trying to hear about their childhood because I wanted, I was hoping, I'm going to say, I was hoping to hear about abuse and neglect. And unfortunately, it's exactly what you said, is this doesn't discriminate. Unfortunately, I heard a lot of stories just like you and just like me where we had these incredible childhoods and can't blame our addiction or the person that we had become on our on our childhoods. You know, it's exactly what you're saying. It's nothing to do with that sometimes. Right. Right. You know, I, I think... Uh... You know, as as I grew up, I, I uh, you know, I do have an older brother who, as I started getting to about 10, 11, 12 years old, he was about six or seven years older than me. And I saw him kind of starting to get into a little bit of trouble, you know, going into junior high school and his early time in high school. Um, I noticed that he was, you know, not on my parents' good side all the time. I noticed a lot of that revolved around him getting caught, you know, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, just kind of doing the wrong thing. And I right. looked at that as, you know, hey, I don't want to do that. I don't want to end up there, you know. Right. And, uh, I probably kept kept you on the straight line for a long time, right? I mean, yeah, you could see like what you, what a sibling's going through, and you're fortunate enough. You're like, man, I don't want to deal with that stuff, so you kind of veered away from it, right? Yeah, you know, and and you know, like I said, I was always, you know, and so I played sports, and you know, I was real close to my dad, who who constantly was uh, who was close to with his dad, who instilled a lot of these values that he passed down to me, and and you know, was uh, the expectations were that I that I toe the line and I do the right thing or try to do the right thing. So, you know, it wasn't until high school when I started kind of 
being influenced by some of these outside, you know, factors. Yeah. Well, tell us about it. Tell us about high school. Like, what was, what were some of the ups and downs of high school that might have caused issues or non-issues? Well, you know, it was it was it was fairly normal. I, I feel like you know, I had a, I had a friend that I played a little league baseball with who was a year older than me, and I kind of got I got pulled into the folds of his friends, and I was a freshman, and they were sophomores, so I was lucky in the sense that I wasn't that that freshman walking around kind of lost in in school and getting stuffed in his locker or a trash can. I, I kind of got rolled in with the cool kids, so to speak, you know, right, right off the bat, and uh, and so you know, I was going to their, you know. Uh, the dances with them and, and going to dance with those girls that were older than me and getting invited to, to places and parties and things. And so I felt like I was kind of put in that position and, and got, people were doing things. They, people were drinking right. beer. People were, were doing things that I wasn't used to doing there. So, Right. Well, I had this thing, you know, from a young age, the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was either be the starting catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> or be a firefighter. And so, you know, I became a fire explorer and did all that kind of stuff that we all do. But I was lucky in the fact that I, for whatever reason, had this thing that if I get in trouble, if I get into drugs, or if I start drinking, I am gonna, I'm gonna hinder my chances of being a firefighter. And so, for me, that kept me straight. I mean, that made me toe the line because I was seeing friends get DUIs. I was seeing friends get ex- expelled from school or suspended because of drinking or drugs or, you know, cut in class. And I was so afraid that I was going to do something in my uh, high school days that would cause me to not be a firefighter that I stayed away. I stayed away. And thank God, because if I look back or if I can look at the kind of person or what I got into as I was older – I know now that if I would have started drinking, if I would have started using drugs in high school, I don't know what would have happened. You know, I don't know if I would have yeah. just got sucked right up into that, and then my life could even be more different than it is now. You know. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate. I I had a I had a similar experience, but I didn't start kind of really being interested in the fire department until uh, you know probably the summer between my sophomore and my junior year when I joined the fire explorers and had a family friend that was kind of encouraging me and, and again, was, was told the same things, you know, this is a job that has these high standards. This is what you need to do. And that, that kept me in line and wanting to do the right thing and stay away from some of those types of situations. But there were still right. a couple of times where, you know, I had a couple, uh, you know, I had my first drinking experience, you know, I, I went out after a dance and, and, you know, had a bad experience with alcohol. And, and then, you know, it was a long time before I touched it again. Cause you know, of course I was away from home and lying to my parents about where I was and staying at someone's house who obviously their parents were home. Right. But they weren't really, right. and we were drinking and everybody, right, you know, right. th- those, those stories you have, but you know, I, I, there was long periods of time in between those. I wasn't like a daily drinker or weekly. It was just like, you know, maybe every few months an opportunity would come up where I'd have an experience and every experience seemed to really be bad. It ended up with me, you know, hugging the toilet at night and wishing I never did it. Um, right. you know, to wondering how I'm going to get home and explain to my parents that I'm in this condition, you know, and I was fearful. Um, and it's right. funny how it, it kind of changed later on for me. Yeah. Now, did you see even at a young age that when you drank, you, you felt taller and you had more muscle. I mean, did you feel any kind of relief at that point or did it, did it provide you with any kind of relief or were you still just in high school kid, not really knowing what you're doing or realizing you know, like, 
you know, I think it was parting. It was, it was part of fitting in, you know, I didn't, like I right. said, I was put, I was put right in the in crowd right off the bat. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, right. they weren't, you know, so I felt like if I was in any situation and I wasn't going along with what those, what the quote unquote cool kids were doing, then I wouldn't be in that in crowd anymore. And I was fearful to be out of that crowd. Cause I, you know, right. I, I, I wanted to stick with those people and stick in that pack, which I thought was, were the winners at the time, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> but, of course. Of course. Um, so there was that degree of wanting to be kind of wanting to, wanting to stay with that, with that popular crowd. It was kind of doing, right. you know, peer pressure, you know? Yeah. And I think I, so. I, I would find it hard to believe if not most people listening can understand in high school, you know, wanting to fit in and wanting to be with the, the cool kids. I mean, it seems like, I mean, anybody can relate to that. I mean, I know I can. So, all right. So tell us, okay, so you get through high school, no real blimps, right? I mean, just kind of, just yeah. kind of, so far you sound to me like every other high school kid across America, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was dating a girl yeah. the four years in high school. We were together all four years and, and, and just even some after high school. And that was my first serious girlfriend. And, you know, we obviously were kind of going separate ways with college and things, but I put my head down as soon as I graduated high school. And I really, really went, started going hard for the fire department, doing literally everything I could seven days a week. I was doing something trying to get hired by the fire department, you know, whether it was volunteering somewhere or working on an ambulance or going to a fire academy or paramedic school, I was doing it all. So I really didn't have time to get into the party scene in that two year period between 18 and 20. And, um, right. You know, it so, was just, yeah, yeah. Head so down tell us, about, to get tell the us job. about that. Tell us about what after high school kind of looked like. You know, you know I was, what, I was what you were home. doing. I was living at home still. I, I I didn't want to try to move out. A lot of my friends were moving out and, and going to college and doing different things. And there was a couple of a uh, couple guys I went to high school with that went on to uh, a local community college and went to their fire academy and took some uh, other classes and went on to be a paramedic working on an ambulance part-time as an EMT. That was my first exposure to the 911 system and all those things. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm gung ho. I'm excited. I'm hungry to do this job. Every time I ride in an ambulance or an engine and I have the license sirens on, I'm just, I just get this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of I had, this is, this has got to be the job. This has got to be the job that I end up doing because I couldn't picture myself doing anything else. You know, no, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I actually talked about this in my last podcast with the uh, guy who ended up being a fire chief and all that story. But man, you think about how excited we were to do this job. I mean, it was, I can't even explain to somebody how it felt to, to get into a fire engine or ambulance and respond with the lights and sirens on it. Like how, powerful that was and it just it bums me out but i'm sure everyone who's done this job as a profession or serious how this the the ebb and flow of this right like how we went from being so excited and just just filled with so much uh, i don't i can't even think of the a word that would be encompass it enough for someone to understand what it's like and then you get to a point where you know the tones go off and you're like okay let's just go do this and get back and then for me it got to a point where it brought so much dread and fear every time the tones went off you know and Mm -hmm. no i get it i get it trey that the beginning stages of our career is just something that 
is hard to explain. Yeah. I was talking about it with someone else the other day. I ended up, uh, you know, everything kind of, uh, you know, came to a point where, you know, I got a couple job offers at, at the same time. And one of the offers was with a large agency in, in near my, my hometown and, in uh, you know, Southern California. And, and I accepted the right. position there at 21 years old. And, um, wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was my dream job, you know, 21 years old, I, everything I'd worked for from essentially the time I was a junior in high school to that point, um, I, I had achieved it. It was a, it was a matter of passing the fire Academy, getting through my first year of probation and, you know, sky's the limit, right? I mean, a major right. power, a major powerhouse fire department, not in just in the state, but in the country, if not the world. Right. It's uh, right. so, right. Um, you know, just obviously so happy and ready to do this thing. But, you know, so you get through the academy, you put the hard times in. But, you know, I was in that mode already. You know, I was in that mode going right. hard, head down. You know, I'd already been through a, a private academy. I was doing, med, you know, schooling and classes. So I was in that groove. And then that first year on your rookie year and you're still, it's like nothing can phase you, man. You're, you're, you're working hard. Your head's down. You're happy to be there. You're happy to do whatever it takes. And, uh, you know, but you start getting two, three years on the job and, you know, you, you start developing friendships and bonds and, and, you know, you just kind of dive right into the culture of, uh, of what the fire service is, is all about, which is brotherhood and, uh, you know, community and camaraderie and, you know, everyone's there for each other. I mean, we spend more time with the people at work than we do with the people that are at home for the most part. Right. And so you develop that closeness, but you, you're really, you're, you're ready to go through thick and thin with any of these people. But, you know, as a young firefighter, I was single. I had no family. I had no kids. So I kind of stuck with those types of guys who uh, were single and traveling and no kids. And that group, that culture, that just, you know, it was like, hey, this is our decompression. You know, we're going to work hard. We're going to work tons of overtime. We're going to burn ourselves out to the max. And then we're going right. to go away to Cancun for a week or Vegas. or, And guess what happens at those places? <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, if you're not drinking, you're not enjoying those places to the absolute fullest, right? I mean, that's the right. attitude. Is it, it's uh, yeah. every, uh, yeah, I don't want to say every, but like you said, we work extremely hard. So when it's time to play, you know, the old adage that we play even harder. And unfortunately, as we get older, a lot of it, has, you know, has to do with drinking. You know, it's just what right. it is. Okay, so... So a little rundown here. So, okay, you, you, you got, you know, great childhood, it sounds like. High school, really no issues. After high school, head down. Fire service is the only thing that's on your mind. And then at an extremely young age, 21, you get your dream job. Right? Right. Right. Okay. And then, so now you're working, you're through probation, you have, you know, the bull by the horns, as they say. And so tell me about that. Now, are are you noticing a change in you yet? Is Are, are things no. happening, you know, like, where are we at? Not not at all. Not at all, Rick. I mean, you know, I was in, you know, in the, in the mode of, you know, working a lot because I could. Uh, I was, you know, at that point I had moved out of the house and, and got my own place and, you know, and I had no accountability to <laughs> really anything. I could come home right. and sleep all day if I really wanted to, right. you know. So right. I was right. like, hey, bring it on. I'm going to work as much as I can. 
uh, and, 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 you know, I like to travel at that point. And so, you know, my, my thing was, and there was a group of us that did, and my thing was work so I could get the time off to, and, and afford the opportunity to go out and do, do fun things. And that was just right. the culture, man. And, and all of us did it. And nobody was, we didn't, nobody looked at each other like bad guys. And it was funny because, you know, the, nobody ever looked at each other like, oh man, maybe he tied one on a little too hard the other day at the river. Maybe he tied one on too hard. No, it's it's like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Remember when he fell and cracked his head open on the cement? And that was the most, that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. There wasn't, there wasn't ever any, there wasn't ever any like, oh, maybe he's got, maybe we need to talk with him or, you know, it was funny. Right. right. <laughs> so it's just. They're just war stories, man. It, yeah, like that's it. built your it built your cred up, right? Yeah, your street rep is is on the rise at this point, right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what we do, right? We go we go to we go to work, we work hard, we work grueling long hours, longer than you know most any other profession, right? We 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 deal with what we deal with, and then we go home and we drink beer. That's that's like what firemen do, <laughs> you right. know? I mean that's no, what I was taught yeah. at a young age, you know? Oh, it's. Absolutely and, uh, right. You're absolutely and there was no right. problem with that. Well, we it was it was almost like a, a free pass to do so because hey, guess what? We deserve it, don't you know? Right. You know. Yes, you do. You're and, a uh, lifesaver, and at least you can have as a beer on your day off. I, I get it. Yeah. So, so are I, you noticing any at this point at all? Excuse me. I'm sorry. At this point at all, any effects from like the job? Like, are you? Are you dwelling on calls? Are you having any kind of early symptoms of any kind of PTSD or anything? Well, you know, as a, para- as a paramedic, sure, we run those calls that, that stick with us, that stick in our minds, you know, calls with kids, calls with families, call, you know, just tragic calls, uh, calls where you feel like you maybe could have done something different to change the outcome, right? The calls that sit with you at night sometimes. But th- those are just fleeting moments, right? It, it, some affect others more you know, than some. And, and I didn't feel like I was ever affected so much as to where something would really heavily weigh me down day after day. Um, I felt like I was either able to just stuff it deep down really well, or, you know, God gave me a little bit more of a, of a rougher exterior to the point where I was able to kind of like choke it down with, Hey, this is part of the job. And this is what, this is what happens occasionally. But I feel like where the rubber, where, where it culminated for me was, was the repetition of, of certain, certain types of calls and the volume of calls and the, the, just the same monotonous, I was at a, the same assignment for a long time. So uh, it, it was almost that burnout that was just setting in with nothing changing right. really about my day to day, you know? Right. I get it. So how many years are we into your career at this point? Would you say? I'd say probably right around the six, just, you know, six or seven year mark, six, okay. five, five, six year mark. Okay, so tell us um, how how things started to change. Well, you know, I was in a relationship that I had gotten in. Um, you know, that was that was you know up and down for the most part. It was kind of like we're together, we're not together, we're together, we're not together. And it, but it was right. it, it was like really really running running the show off duty. I mean, it was it was really affecting me. Um, now, you know, a lot of that relationship was toxic for a lot of different reasons, but I look back now and realize a lot, I mean, 90% of it was me. I mean, you know, I, I was trying to hold on to that selfish self-seeking, um, you know, don't you know, I deserve to do this. I deserve to do that. And when there's a woman that's trying to settle down with me and, and have a little bit more of a, you know, uh, committed, equitable relationship 
and maybe start a family, maybe get married. Right. I, I was telling her that's what I wanted, but on the other end, my actions weren't showing. So, so I kept falling short, kept falling right. short, which, which kept kind of driving me into a little bit of frustration, a little bit of depression. Uh, right. that, and that relationship ultimately ended up, ended up ending, uh, where we had now, to, which, what, what, would you say if we could go back and ask this, ask this lady, Hey, did you notice a problem with his drinking? What do you think she'd say? Oh yeah, she would. She would say yes. She yes. would say yes. Yeah. But you, you at this point, you're probably still under the mindset of, "Hey, I deserve this, right?" I mean, yeah. I, I was under the mindset that I had it under control. That like, don't tell right. me how much to drink because you know I'm a grown up and I'm responsible. I mean, I work for the fire department after all. I can't be that bad of a guy, right? Right, you know? right. I right, got this right. under control, you know. I, if I want to come home and kill a six-pack every night on my four-day and then some, that's my prerogative. But don't tell me I'm an alcoholic because I show up for work on the fifth day in the morning on time. Right. You know, right. I, I'm not that guy under the bridge with a paper, with a brown paper bag. I'm not an alcoholic, you know. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I didn't right. – I, I, I had no idea, you know. Um, right what what it was all about so okay i i had i i didn't it wasn't until i was introduced to a 12-step program and introduced to the you know rec recovery in general and you know certain pieces of literature and different things that my eyes were opened to hey wow i, I don't have to be that brown paper bag there's there's white collar executives that do this deal there's um you know doctors and lawyers and and, and all kinds right. of people across the spectrum that, that struggle with this thing. It, it doesn't discriminate once again. Um, and I really, that's kind of where the, where uh, the rubber met the road for me. Well, yeah, especially, you know, for us, right. And when I say us, I mean, firefighters in general, or just emergency responders, we go on the stereotypical alcoholic. We go on those guys that, are underneath the bridge with their alcohol in a brown paper bag. So we see it, and we, we are able to literally go, that's not me. That is not me, right? Like, this this person obviously has a problem, but look, I have a house, right. I have a beautiful car, I have an incredible job. Like you said, I'm able to show up to work. Like, I am a active and functioning member of society there is no way i have a drinking problem there's just right. there's no way and that's what i did for years that's how i convinced myself for years i have a wife i'm about to have kids i'm not an alcoholic you know i just need to blow some steam off you don't you don't understand i'm you know the the, the things that i see and I'm allowed to have a drink. I'm allowed to have a drink, right? So, yeah. it, it, so we uh, we we think of the, that that word alcoholic comes with such a stigma as well. You know, it's like it's, we we think of this this typical character. If it's not the transient under the bridge with the brown paper bag, it's it's like right. Bill Burr said. You know, it's it's the guy with the uh, the tool belt and the uh, the white tank top coming home with through the door. You know. <laughs> He says, uh, right. comes home from the factory. He says, two in a casserole and just starts swinging. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> you know, that's what we think. You know, with a big red nose and stuff. Like, I'm not that guy, you know? I can't. Be. Right. So, right. so why um, were you introduced to 12-step programs? Like, you said well, that's so, when you, you opened your eyes to it. Yeah. Which, 
so yeah, thanks. Let me getting back on track to the kind of the timeline. So I had no idea, you know, I, I didn't even tell myself. In fact, we had jokes amongst our, uh, ourselves, friends and things saying, you know, oh, we're functioning alcoholics. We know we drink a lot. We know we get blacked out from time to time. We, we do stupid stuff, but Hey, we try not, you know, we, we don't drive drunk. We show up for work on time. We, we show up to work sober. We get our job done. We, we, like you said, we carry on with functioning life things. We, we maintain, uh, you know, we pay our bills. We have a house. We put food in our mouth and we sleep in a bed at night, you know, Hey, we're good. Right. Right. So that worked until it didn't work anymore, you know, until, uh, you know, it's just like, man, I was working way too much at, at, at the fire department because I felt like if I could distract myself with work, then I wouldn't have to deal with a bad relationship, a breakup, a tough financial, you know, financial insecurity, depression, um, you know, all the different things that were going on at home. If I could just work and work and work and just make it to my next trip or my next vacation, then I can just literally skip out on all that other stuff. I don't have to think about it, but that backfired right. because when all that stuff's going through your head and then you, 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 that bell goes off, you have to shut it off. You have to engage, you have to take care of business. And it's one of the hardest things to do to shut that, that, that hamster wheel down in your head and then engage to help someone else. It's almost impossible so I felt like I was right. walking around like a shell of myself. And then you start resenting going on calls and working and responding because in your head, you're like, man, I got my own problems. I don't want to deal with someone else's right. I don't want to deal with right. someone else's right now. And I think right. where's my, where's, where's my yeah. 911 button? Yeah. You know, and like, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was crazy. It was just like, Sue, I literally think that while I was at, and I just remember like, thinking back, like, there's, there's no relief. There's no reprieve. I'm not obviously excited to be here right now. I'm overworked. I'm exhausted. I'm depressed. And there's no escape. I thought I was escaping it at work, but I'm not. Then when I go home, I'm not escaping it because it's right there in front of me. So then I self-medicate and drink alcohol to stop the mind. Right. right. And then it was just right. this conscious self-medication. Boom, boom, boom. And then till, till uh, the, a relationship finally came to its final end and she moved out and, you know, you start losing all this stuff, right? Oh, wow. By the way, you know what? We were, we had a wedding that we were, we were supposed to get married in a few months. So you owe me this much money. Hey, by the way, we oh, own a house together. You know, we were on title of this house together. So guess what? I need half of that back or just give it to me. You know, and then next thing you know, all this stuff starts, wow, well, I got to sell my car because I can't afford this. And then, so it was just isolation working as minimal days as I, as I could. Right. Because I didn't, I, I knew right. I did not want to work anymore than I had to. And then just isolation at home, depression, heavy depression, drinking, 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 and, you know, isolation. And that was kind of where it took me. Right. Right. Um, well, the part in, in a lot of this that, that bums me out, okay, and and I know people say the same thing to me, but, you know, part of what I'm doing with, you know, these podcasts and all this stuff is – to raise or change the um, what am I trying to say to to raise the cultural awareness in the fire service. Now I knew you through this entire time. Right. I had no idea any of this was going on for you. Right. 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 Now I'm sure you could say the same thing about me. Yeah. Now we weren't together. Okay. Right. So maybe maybe somebody somewhere could maybe saw something, and they were still just doing what we all do in the fire services. He's just blowing steam off, you mm -hmm. know. What I mean, like we're still 
we're still like under that mindset. And now like my goal is going to be like, where can I step in or where, where are, what are some of the warning signs that I could be looking for so that somebody else doesn't have to go through what I went through, you know? Right. So like I said, I, I, I knew you and I had no idea any of this was going on. And of course we're incredible actors, right? So mm-hmm. that's part of it. But okay, so you're working less, you feel like I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe your life's falling apart around you? Very yeah, man. Right I mean, I, I literally remember moments where, you know, and then probably some of my least proud moments that no one ever sees but you and you know, literally on the floor in my bedroom sobbing drinking just literally like just did not know what was going on like how you got to this point and the funny thing is is at that moment I had no idea that it was only going to get worse you know by my own hand by my own devices I thought at that point like it can't get any worse but the funny thing is I didn't think for one second that if I just sobered up and went and talked to someone that it would get better I, I thought the complete right. opposite. I thought, man, this bottle's getting low. How the hell am I going to get to the liquor store? You know, that was what I thought, you know, right. and, and I, had right. no, I had no idea. And I thought it was okay because right. I was going through a hard time. I thought it was okay because I'm like, you know what, just like anything, I'll be able to bounce back from this. I'm a strong person. I have I have more willpower than this, right? So I wasn't worried about right. the, what was going on, you know. And uh, Gosh, So if, if, if somebody out there is listening and – any of this, any of this you can relate with, you need to think about asking for help. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing I get across from these, these things is that you can get help before you destroy everything in your life. And just like you said, like you never even thought about just asking for help. Yeah. Okay. It got to a point. It got Sorry, to a point where, where no, that was perfect. Thank <laughs> you for putting that in there because you know ultimately we're trying to share this message and that's the that's the most important thing and it's so hard to even say that and and have someone comprehend it because until you're there and you're ready, it's so hard. But with when but hearing these stories, hopefully you know really kind of triggers someone to make some changes. But you know it got to the point for me where you know if I tried to control my drinking, I didn't enjoy it. And I say this a lot, but if I, if I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control it. So that was a paradox. It was like, if I, if I'm at a family barbecue and ma and grandma's looking and I'm, and I'm, I'm limited to two, two beers. I'm thinking about how, how long until I can get the heck out of there so I can go down to my crawl into my local dive bar and uh, you know, finish the job. You know, if I'm, if I'm out, just going balls to the wall with my buddies or I'm out and I got carte blanche to whatever I absolutely could not control where the night went. It was, it was off to the races because I couldn't stop. And I kind of knew that about myself, but I didn't realize I I, I didn't realize that that was the case until I looked back upon, upon my behavior. Right. So to get back kind of on track here. So you mentioned that you didn't realize you had a problem until you know, you saw literature or right, or, right. So, how did you get to that point where you're so, even seeing literature, or you're even in a twelve twelve step program? Like, well, unfortunately, this- you know, everybody gets here somehow, and and uh, you know, we 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 find our rock bottom, they say, and and um, you know, mine ended up being the rock bottom of a jail cell, 
And uh, for okay. me, that was that was kind of enough. You know, I got I got picked up uh, in a blackout um, of a of a long day and night of drinking. Right. And uh, right. You know, was uh, was taken to uh, to jail for the evening, and and uh, of course the uh, the fire department doesn't look favorably on that kind of conduct, and uh, right. you know, and so uh, you know we dealt with that, and uh, you know I had to go through some really difficult times, and you know obviously into the disciplinary system, and uh, I, at that point I was 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 the first time that I really reached out to to help, say hey, you know what, oh, okay. I, I I need to I need to figure I need to figure out what's going on with me, you know, and I was directed through our, through our union to a counselor who uh, is contracted through our union. And, you know, it's an employee assistance program. And um, a lot, a lot of major corporations have EAPs, a lot of companies, a lot of other, uh, you know, government agencies and things. And so we have one and I was able to be directed to, uh, to this person in the EAP and, they were able to direct me, uh, you know, to to where I needed to go, and part of that right. was a treatment was a treatment program. And uh, man, you know, I am I'm so envious that <laughs> you 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 hit bottom and you found a twelve step program. I I wish I could say that's my story. This is not about me, but I think about all the chances I had to get sober. And just had no ability to do it, and you know. Anyway, yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, when I when I when I had to go down, when I had to go face the music for for what had happened to me, um, you know, it wasn't even that night. Of course, that night, uh, the the night in question was was mortifying and was was shameful. And I actually spent a couple of days at my parents' house the day after that because my father picked me up from jail, and that was like right. I felt like I was nine years old again, looking up at him. Yeah. Just like wow, that was there were so many poignant moments in the process, but I don't think it was till I was riding the elevator down, holding my pants up because I didn't have a belt buckle and and no badge on my uniform shirt because they took it away from me, uh, and and passing other chiefs and higher up officials and things in the elevator, council members and things as as I went to my car. I remember just getting in my car and sobbing and saying and thinking back to the to all the years before of everything I worked for to get here and everything that was happening and it was just this this whirlwind of everything and it was at that point I'm like I'll do whatever it takes uh you know to 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 get this right you know and at first right. it was just about that at first it was just about getting out of the out of the hot water you know right and right. and that was all I cared about but in the process I was introduced into a, a way of living that was you know would eventually change my life beyond my wildest dreams so right Okay, so we got we got the alcoholism or what you went through. We got that out of the way. So now tell us about what you went through to to the so the or tell us how you got to where we are right now. Yeah. So, you know, I like I said it it, it didn't get it, as bad as it was uh that night. Um, you know, those nights on the floor, as bad as it got going into jail that one night, as bad as it could get, it, it continued to get worse because I continued to start losing things. Even though I was on my road to recovery, even though I was on my path, on the right path, I, I was, you know, of course doing the right thing, but I was still having negative fallout. And that was really hard to deal with in the early days of sobriety, you know, um, you know, losing more money, losing houses, um, you know, obviously eventually, eventually um, having to, to, take a suspension, uh, you know, 
unpaid leave, which, you know, was, was one of the most difficult things, you know, I was having to, having to, uh, ended up scrubbing, scrubbing boat bottoms to, uh, you know, make barely make the rent, you know, and, and, you know, it was just such a eye-opening, humbling experience to have to do that. Right. And, uh, you know, just working through that, but, you know, going into treatment, like you said, in treatment with a bunch of younger people, it was my story too, man. I, you know, I ended up going into this reluctantly, of course, you know, trying to control everything because in the beginning just wanted to get out of the hot water. You know, I, I, I was suggested to me that I go into a residential 30-day program. I'm like, you mean where I pack my bags and turn over my cell phone and all that good stuff? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. Can I can I drive in from home every day? <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> you know? right, right. I, I'm already yeah, trying to control. It's not going to work for me. I, I really need my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I need my phone. I need, I need to sleep in my own bed at night. Yeah. Yeah. So if this, if we could make this really comfortable for me, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I, that that was that that was that <laughs> that was that first step where I really had to become willing and that was when I you know agreed to go into that 30-day program and give up the cell phone and and share a room with, you know, other people whose stories aren't like mine and who are a lot younger than mine and come from different backgrounds and I just had to get uncomfortable to get comfortable eventually, you know. Right, right. Um, okay, let's, let's, I want to hear all about it. All right, so Tell us, take us uh, down that road of recovery. Yeah, you know, I was introduced to a, a, a counselor. They told me I had to get a sponsor. They told me I had to look at these 12 steps up on the wall. They said that they go to AA meetings every day and, and uh, you know, that this is the program that they stay and they follow to uh, stay sober. And, you know, I'm hearing all these different stories and I'm 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 eating it up you know, because I was willing to do anything at that point. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm hanging on by a thread here. I'll do whatever it takes, you know, tell me anything. I'll try anything, you know? And so, you know, I, I did, I got this guy who was like in his eighties to sponsor me. He had like this big, long white beard. It looked like Gandalf. And, you know, it, it, he was all right for the first, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he had these, he had these, he was all right for the first, uh, you know, a couple of weeks and, and to get me kind of going and stuff and to kind of tell me about this program and, and this, this big book and what's inside of it and these steps and how they work and this program and how it works. And, but at the end of the day, he also told me I didn't have to keep the first sponsor. I just had to get a guy to, to uh, you know, who had been through the steps himself to kind of show me the way and, and, you know, ended up not sticking around with that man, but he was crucial in the beginning stages of, of me and, and my sobriety. And so I get out of this 30 day treatment program. And of course we had gone to a handful of AA meetings, in fact, one every day or, sometimes two, um, you know, and, and I get out and I ended up continuing through an outpatient program for, you know, a few months after that, I just kept going because you know what, I, I needed it and I, you know, I enjoyed it and it, it was, it kept me centered and it kept, it kept my mind off of all the stuff that was going on outside of those rooms. Right. As long as my, right. as long as my butt was in that chair every day and I didn't miss in between, it was like, I was getting well and I didn't realize it. And uh, I had my bad days. I had my good days, you know, your early sobriety, your, your, your mind's kind of clearing up and your emotions are running wild and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And obviously your life's not completely in order or else you wouldn't be in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I want to say real quick is that I thought, I thought the, the sooner I get sober, things are going to start to get better. And for me, <laughs> Four months in my sobriety is when, is for me, was when my wife was like, I'm done with you. 
So it's not yeah. like we get sober and immediately just things start getting better. I mean, this is a process, right? It's a the whole thing is a process, and you just have to realize that every day you're sober, every day is better. Absolutely. You know, but it's it's hard to see that when <laughs> things are still falling apart around you, even though you're sober. Absolutely, you know, and um, and that's one of the things that that we we learn to uh, to go through. And we watch other people go through is that you know you can get through things and uh, you know you can get through them sober uh, with the with the help of, of of others that you that you meet in the program and and the principles themselves that that we try to to adhere to the best that we can. But you know it's it, it's funny because you know I kept kind of doing this deal and things started kind of getting better for me and you know the only thing that I that I was doing perfectly. Um, was not drinking alcohol, you know, that right. was the only thing that I wasn't right. doing that I was doing perfectly every single day, you know, and right. they, they told me when I came in there, it was a daily reprieve, you know, that it was a one day at a time thing that, you know, for today, I'm not going to drink. And then if it's, I'm successful, then I'm going to do the same thing that I did today to stay sober tomorrow. And I'm going to share that with other people who are going through the same things. And then through that, through those small things that I'm going to stay sober doing that. So it's a one day at a time thing for me. You know, it's, it's, you know, I don't have that urge to drink alcohol today. I don't have that obsession. That was what it was. The obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. There's a chapter called the doctor's opinion for anybody who's familiar with that chapter in in the big book. And, uh, you know, it talks about this obsession, this mental obsession that we have that before we drink, we're thinking about drinking. If we're not drinking, we're thinking about it, when we can have it, how much we can have it, you know, who we can have it with. And, and once we do take that first drink and uh, that that allergy kicks in, you know, that allergy of the body where where we once we start, we can't stop. It literally physically changes our brain chemistry and changes what goes on inside of us. And that's what makes us bodily and mentally different than our fellows, you know, someone who can drink with impunity right. and, 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 and leave the uh, bottom third of their wine glass sitting there on the table when we leave dinner and you're looking at it and just kind of like twitching because you can't believe how they can do that, right? We're mentally different than our fellows. All right. Um, <clears throat> I actually had, I, I had this conversation last night with someone who's new to the program who said, look, it, if I can stay sober, or if I can not drink, maybe like, you know, once a year I could just I could have a night. Right? And I was I was trying to explain to him, I go, if you told me that one night out of three hundred and sixty five that I could drink, it is the only thing <laughs> I would think about. <laughs> I mean, I would yeah. wake up, I'd be thinking about that date. I before I went to sleep, I'd be thinking about that. I'd be reminding yeah. everybody I know, hey, April third, I get yeah. a drink, like get oh ready. And the amount of damage that would take place in twenty four hours if I started drinking for one night a year would be insane. And like you yeah. said, you would never lose that mental obsession if you knew that you could drink one day out of the year. Yeah, it, it would, would be on, it would be on day three. You absolutely <laughs> insane. It and, would be on day three sixty four too. So you'd be just losing your mind for the entire year. 
yeah. Oh, <laughs> he'd probably end up oh drinking before God. that, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You absolutely yeah. would, and you absolutely wouldn't stop um, from right. day 366. So, But, um, you know, that was where it was. That, for me, that was kind of where I was able to get a grasp on this thing because the ego was a big problem for me, again, with the willpower. And after uh, some, some time of sobriety and, you know, you get kind of, you know, things start kind of getting better, right? Like, you know, some of the problems you had six, six months before when all this stuff went down are kind of starting to go away. You're starting to kind of get a normal life back. Right. And, and, uh, you're facing the music, but you're going forward and you start thinking that that thought creeps into your head, you know, Hey, maybe I, maybe I, uh, jump the gun on this alcoholic diagnosis, you know, maybe I can, right. maybe, maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe I was just going through some stuff, you know, right. And, uh, that's your, that's your mind kind of talking to you like that. And I, and, and I heard somebody and I, and so I go to meetings and, and I still go to meetings today because I need to hear stories of guys that say I had 25 years and I got retired from my job and I was sitting in my rocking chair and the guy said, Hey, Bobby, You've been sober 25 years, man. You graduated, you know. You can have a beer. You're retired. I mean, Christ. You know, hey, your kids are grown. They're gone. Everybody's in college. They're doing this. you got a pension you're collecting, whatever. I'm going to – you know what? You can have a Budweiser, you know. What's it going to hurt? Right, right. And right. and the guy's right. taking a the guy's taking a newcomer chip in, a, in an AA meeting two weeks later because, you know, it's, it's no no different than 25 years ago. Um, right. So those stories right. help me uh, squash any thoughts that I have that I can do this thing on my own. That willpower alone and abstinence from drinking is going to help me because I've tried the whole plug in the jug, not drink, but also not try to go to meetings and not try to stay in fellowship with other people and help other other people. And, you know, that's what the real program is, because you can go just as crazy sober as you can drinking. And I learned right. that, too. No, that's a great point. You're right. You can just because you're not drinking doesn't mean that you're a, you've, you're a better person. You know, just because just because you're not putting alcohol in your system does not mean that you are now ready to face life on life's terms. You know, the the reason we go through the steps and the reason why, you know, for me. The reason why I ask God how I can be of service in the morning and I thank God at the end of the day is because I know that I cannot do this on my own. And I know that the only way that I'm going to be of any, uh, the only way I'm going to be healthy and stay sober is if I think of other people first. And I'm only going to get that by staying active in these programs. Absolutely. I love that, and and that's something that that I love as well, and it talks about in the book, and and you know, that's key. You have to stay in that constant and conscious contact with a higher power, whatever that looks like for you, you know, because it's nothing that we do of our own, you know, doing. It's 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 that it's that God-sized hole that they say, right, that we fill with alcohol, and you know, we we remove the alcohol and that hole's still there. So we have to fill it with something. We have to fill it up with, with a spiritual power that's greater than ourselves. And, you know, a God of, of, of our own understanding. And, and we have to stay in constant and conscious contact with, with that, with that higher power on a daily basis, you know, and, and that's a major, major part of these 12 steps. And, you know, get, 
with getting into how things got for me was once I completely conceded to the fact that, you know, Hey, I, I have this disease. I have, I have, I am an alcoholic and you know, my life was unmanageable that first step, you know, and, right. and then moving, moving on through these other steps. And, you know, like I said, that being a paramedic and being a medical guy and science kind of guy, I grasped the fact that, Hey, this is a chemistry thing. This is a biochemistry thing. Whether I drank myself this way, whether I was genetically predisposed to being this way, I don't know. I can't answer that, but I am this way. And it's just nothing that makes me a bad person. This is just who I am. Like someone with high blood pressure or diabetes or cancer, it's something that I just have to deal with and I treat right. it and there's no medication right. I can treat it with. I treat it with, um, doing this program to the best of my ability and, and that's, and, and, and spending time with other people and recovery and helping other alcoholics, you know, and, and doing the things that we're doing right now, you know, this is keeping right. me sober right now, this, this stuff exactly right now. So, you know, um, moving forward through, uh, the department stuff, you know, obviously went back to work and, um, you know, I had a new lease on life, so to speak, you know, I had, a, you know, I had some time of sobriety by the time I got back to work, but there was that fear factor of what are the people, what are the guys going to think, you know, what's the, what are the rumors that have been going on around me? Right. Um, you know, what are my captains going to think of me? You know, is, are, are people going to think less of me because of what they think I've, as I've gone through or whatever, you know, I'm still right. the same so, person, you know, so tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit, like how were you, you know, what was, how would you say you were treated when you got back? As you a know, whole, I can, how I can would honestly you say, say everyone treated you? You know, I can honestly say I was treated really, really well, man. Um, you know, right. my fears were kind of in my head. And, you know, you realize that, like like I said earlier on in, in the podcast, that the fire service is a big family. They have that brotherhood, that, that camaraderie. Uh, there was there was a few folks that checked in on me on my while I was away. But uh, when I came back to work, it was – you know, yeah, of course you had some of those uh, cross-eyed stares of people that don't know you that well and hear the rumors, but anybody that was close to me that knew what had happened and knew what I was going through, uh, you know, a big, threw a big hug on me, uh, thank, you know, congratulated me that I was back, said that they were happy to have me back, asked me if I needed anything, reassured me, man, that felt good, you know? Right. I mean, that's the thing, like, we are a family. Literally, we are a family. And like you said earlier, we spend more time at the fire service with our fire service family than we do with our own family. And I know for me, the response has been overwhelming. I mean, I I was so afraid about, I mean, the reason why I was afraid to talk about my PTSD or the problems I was having with that and the reason why I didn't go into the front office and ask for help is because of I was afraid of what it was going to do to my reputation. I was afraid of what people were going to think about me. When right. I saw what people actually thought and how they actually acted, man, it was it was incredible that we care about each other. We are brothers and sisters. Like we really really are. And the response was for me has been really nothing but incredible and positive. I, I agree. I mean, yeah. there there should be no stigmatism attached to somebody saying, "I have a drinking problem. I need help. What do I need to do?" There's 
There should be none, and there isn't. It's just we are afraid because of the culture of the fire service that people are going to think bad, that people are going to think, hey, Rick can't do his job anymore. He's lost his edge, and that's just not the case. Right. The, the I mean, cool, absolutely. You know, and the cool part is, is that you this this is a program of attraction, not promotion. Right. So right. we carry that over to our lives, like our our workplace and our, our our lives at home. We don't have to go out and promote this thing. We just have to to show up and take care of business. And it shows, man. I mean, I don't, right. I don't have to go and shout from the rooftops. Look at all the great things I'm doing. I'm sober and I'm doing this and I'm that and I'm volunteering and I'm doing these things. And you know what? I stay humble. I come to work. I do my job. I show up. I'm a good soldier. You know, I help out. I, you know, I, I, I recently, I recently promoted, you know, I, I put, I put my best foot forward today and I show up and I do it without complaining and I do it with a good attitude and that shows and guys literally say, man, that is not the tray that I knew, you know, and they're right. stoked on it. They're like, man, before you were just kind of this guy that was just going through the motions. You were just kind of stuck at the same assignment. You know, you seem to be, you know, just waiting to get the next day off so you can go party or travel. And, dude, I, I can't believe the things you're doing. Dude, I'm so proud of you, this and that. And these are the types of things I'm hearing. But I don't have to go out and promote myself. It's just the, we, we just show up, and that's what we do. And right. and that's the, that's probably right. the coolest part, man. That's that's where I'm paid in full on this deal. And, and you know, um, you know, it's because we give it away. We're doing things like this. You're doing things like this. You're creating awareness. You're inviting me on and, and allowing me to share my story. And, you know, we get to interact with other firefighters and other members who are struggling and family members of those people. Uh, I've had an opportunity to go talk to recruits at their, at their classes. Um, you know, these, these new generation of firefighters coming on, you know, getting, getting hooked up with other people that are involved with our EAP program and, and just the list goes on and on. And, and it's like, it's, 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 it's all about getting out of yourself, get, getting, getting out of self and into service, right? It's like, and I heard, I heard a guy named Peter M in, a, in, a, in another uh, presentation say, when we give this thing away, when we give away the banquet, sometimes we still end up full. And I thought that was profound because I'm like, you wow. know, it's like, it's, it's like so true, man. It's, it's, right. uh, it is absolutely it's so true. Hey, real quick before we get off, just tell us about really what you've been given since you've gotten sober like what for me and i know for you what has god given you since you got sober oh man I, you know i i can't i can't thank thank the lord enough i have to shove my my house slippers way way under my bed in the morning so that i have to get on my knees to thank him because i'll forget because i'm still a selfish guy sometimes but Man, I owe that. I owe the man upstairs a huge thank. Man, I, you know, it started with obviously getting my my job back and getting back on my feet. And when I think when he felt I could start handling a little bit more, I started getting a little bit more back at a time. And uh, it was clarity to. Uh, yeah, I got an opportunity to get out of the assignment that I was in that I was kind of stale in. You know, I got an opportunity to, uh, you know, go for a promotion which I was get which I was given. You know. Uh, I met my wife, uh, you know, over three years ago, just after I got just at right as I was getting sober, right in the thick of this thing. And it's the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life. So, you know, someone I'm so thankful for who helped me through a lot of these these early stages and, and was there through thick and thin. Uh, she's given me two beautiful boys. Um, I have a, a one year old and a two year old boy who who are just everything to me and uh, you know, we were able to purchase our, our first home a little a little under two years ago. Uh, you know, I've got a relationship with my family members today that I didn't have before. 
Um, I've got uh, some great friends, in, <laughs> you know, both at work that I've reestablished some friendships with and some really great new friendships. Um, I landed at a really great new assignment uh, recently where I love the people that I work with. I love the community. I, I just, it's like a new lease on life, man. And, and um, you know, they said that when I came into these rooms and was introduced to this whole thing, they said, the only half, the only thing you have to change is everything. <laughs> and I right. thought, nah, man. Right, 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 my, right. No what pressure. My, what about no my pressure. drinking buddies, man? What about all those guys right. that I hung out with? Well, you know, you really find out who your friends are through this whole thing, man, because, you know, you're really fun to drink with, and I'm the life of the party. But when I show up and, and I'm sober and I just want to hang out, it's like, man, I don't know if we really want to do that anymore, man, because you're kind of boring now. Right, and that's, right, that's right. The, you know, and so that's their opinion. It just shows me that I was just there for the to be the court gesture, man. You know, I wasn't there for any right. any real meaning. I have meaningful friendships today. I have meaningful relationships. People that want to hang, hang out just because, you know, we have things in common and we have a bond, not because you know we we can both you know chug beer the same, you know, and and that kind of thing. So, man, right. my life my life doesn't even look like it looks uh, it looked five years ago, and and um, you know I. Uh, I have God to thank for it all in the program and, and this, this, this whole process that, that we call recovery and, and, you know, just thankful every day for it. Well, well, you know what, Trey, thank you for sharing this with us. It's absolutely phenomenal. It absolutely shows exactly what this program of recovery is about. You, you epitomize humble, like I, you know what? To be honest with you, I I remember working a day with you. I am knee deep in my addiction, and you had just maybe been back to work a year or something. And I remember being that guy going, "Who am I sitting next to?" <laughs> and I had no idea what you'd been through. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's just you are an amazing man. I. I'm so happy to hear about how your life has changed for the better. You're doing everything. We are doing everything we would ask of somebody in AA. You are giving more than you take. And um, absolutely incredible. So thank you, Trey, for uh, being with us. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please like, share, pass it on. If you know somebody that's struggling, you know, show them where to go. Be there to listen. Um, find a, find the uh, nearest AA hall and send them that way. And anyway, bless and take care and have a great day. Thanks.